Hello, welcome back to the Transfer Portal CFB podcast presented by No Context CFB. Week four just went down. It was insane in so many ways. There were so many great finishes, upsets, stellar player performances and everything. We're going to dive into that. But first, please make sure to like and subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, comment some stuff below too. Let's get into the comments and talk some college football. And then if you're on Spotify or Apple, please make sure to follow us and support us over there. I am joined today by Jake and Andrew. Very happy to have them. And we'll just get this podcast started because these guys both went to games on Saturday and they had some different experiences. Yeah, so uh, I might have attended maybe one of the weirdest games of the year, at least one with maybe the weirdest finish of the year. Um, we'll, we'll get into that in a few minutes, but uh, all around great experience. Uh, the Southwest Classic Trophy is back in its rightful place here in College Station and, uh, you know, had a, had a really great experience. It was a lot of clashing between fan bases, classic Southwest Conference rivalry. Um, it was awesome. And, uh, you know, just glad that the game ended the way that it did, um, but not have told me that that was what was going to happen. But, uh Yeah. So from one former Southwest Conference rivalry to another, I uh, went to the Rice UH game last night and Ruck Feiss. And that was a slogan that was commonly said by a lot of the UH alumni, faculty, uh, student body. Uh, the administration staff was handing out shirts that said Ruck Feiss on them. And I couldn't agree with them more, to be honest. And it was, a, it was a lot tougher game than I expected. I thought the 17-point uh, spread for Houston was a little too easy because Rice, ironically enough, is actually actually had a pretty good start to the season. They're 2-1. and one. Their only loss was to USC. But, uh, you know, Houston, they were able to pull it out uh, in the fourth quarter. Shout out to D.A. Jones, Latrell Bankston getting in on a sack together. Uh, D.A. played fantastic last night. Derek Parrish, he still got – he made a lot of plays last night too. Um, the offense is still, you know, gelling together a little bit, but I'm really happy that we got the win over Rice last night. And, you know, for those that don't really know anything about what the Bayou Bucket rivalry is all about, these two universities do not hate each other. This is more of a student rivalry than a football rivalry, in my honest opinion. These student bodies do not like each other. Has a UH alumni ever partied with a Rice person before? It's the worst 30 minutes of your life. Trust me. All right. You can't even survive the 30 minutes. But, uh, no, we got the win last night and I couldn't be happier about it. Yeah, definitely two a bit different experiences for you guys. Both of you guys got to see your team win, though. At the end of the day, just put a W in the win column and let's move on. Wake Forest Clemson went down in the early slate. It's kind of a shame that that game was in such a crowded slate. But this game was incredible. Even though ABC decided to show us Aaron Judge, you know, three of his at-bats, during a game in which we were able to miss a Wake Forest touchdown to watch Aaron Judge fly out. We were able to miss Clemson get a two-point conversion late in the game to watch Aaron Judge not hit another homer. That stuff was garbage. And the audio, we didn't even get the audio for the Clemson Wake. It was terrible. The game was fantastic. Yeah, and the, by the way, they should not call that a split screen because they're just minimizing the two screens and making them tiny. So it's hard to see if you're sitting far away from your TV already when it's like that. And there's no audio. Like, it's just – we. Do, I'm sorry, but it's Saturday. Aaron Judge can wait to break that record for another day, the AL home run record. He can wait. 
if he does it, just show us a studio update if you really want to. <laughs> like, but um, yeah. Uh, other than that, though, incredible game. Uh, honestly, I was so pissed off whenever those because it, it wasn't just on the Clemson Wake Forest game. It was like any game that was on an ESPN network, including ABC, and it just makes me so mad because I guarantee you. When I get my chicken wings ready, when I get my sandwiches ready, when I get my beer ready to watch football, I don't give a rat's ass about baseball anymore. I do not. This is what October is for. Now, like, I know we got October next week. That's that's fine. But I do not care. If ESPN needs to put a survey on their app, on Twitter, wherever, being like, do you want updates of Aaron Judge while watching college football? It's going to be like 95% hell no and it will and they would get ratios so fucking hard saying like what stupid question are you asking with this when we watch football the the you know what is this 80 percent of the ncaa's revenue comes from just football alone we do not give a rat's ass about baseball anymore man when football see look baseball only exists to just lay us over until football season starts that's literally what it's good for and Amen. and once and and when we're watching two games that I truthfully think college game day should have been at. This game should have been a college game day, in my honest opinion. This was just ridiculous. Like, get Aaron Judge off my damn screen, man. I, like, I, I'm going to continue to make jokes about, like, today. I know the Yankees play a Sunday night game, but I was saying, like, why isn't Red Zone showing us an Aaron Judge? AB? What was going on? It's so, so weird. I'm used to seeing Aaron Judge swing the bat while – you know, I'm watching football teams try and put the ball in the end zone inside the five. The fact that that is going to be one of the biggest talking points from a game that was elite, one of the best games we'll probably see all season. Clemson and Wake Forest, they weren't throwing punches. They were throwing haymakers. DJ UI and Galele played probably the best game he might ever play in the Clemson uniform. We'll see what the future holds to him, holds for him. But his ball placement was pristine. Every throw he was making, every read was incredible. He wasn't trying to throw the ball 112 miles an hour like an MLB pitcher. He was taking it easy, playing the football DJU and Clemson. like Just playing the football DJU needs to play. The football that Clemson fans need to see. So that was really cool for him. Sam Hartman was unreal in his own right. We know he threw for six touchdowns. Their receivers balled out, too. This is going to be one of the worst performances from Clemson's defense all year. It's going to be one of their best offensive performances all year. It's just a very cool game, and I'm very thankful that this game didn't end on a two-point conversion off while we're listening to Aaron Judge strike out again. We avoid disaster there. I will say this to, to say a little bit about like how this was Clemson's worst performance so far to this season. This probably will be the worst performance that they'll put up all season. Most likely you got to understand for Wake Forest, big players, they make big plays. That's just the nature of it. It doesn't matter what the stats say throughout the year. When Wake Forest system is clicking, when Sam Hartman is clicking with A.T. Perry, it doesn't matter what the defense is on the other side. If the offense finds its tempo, it's always going to find its way to get to the end zone. This is why you, whenever Clemson and Alabama always played those national title games five years ago, the reason why they were always so high scoring despite their defenses being like top five in the country that year, their offense were just, they were just game mode, dead zone. 
whatever you want to whatever you want to call it those are the, those offensive players they know that what moment they're in and that is why the game was so high scoring the way it was i'm not surprised that it, that it was as high scoring as it was because i because we saw last year just how good perry and and, and hartman were consistently the whole season this honestly should not be surprised and i'm really glad that we didn't punish Wake Forest in our top 25. And I am really happy that the eight people, they do not punish Wake Forest. This is the type of game that you look at Wake Forest and I'm like, they just prove themselves to be more legitimate. This They went up against a team yeah. that's 20 spots higher than them and they held it all the way to overtime. And I am more than happy. I am so happy for Wake Forest that they, they got a, conv- obviously not a win, but they got, they got a really good convincing performance. They've got a really good chance to, to finish out the year 10 to and probably still have an outside shot to, to make a New Year's Six Bowl. And the way that the ACC was last year, that is almost unheard of when you re, whenever you fast forward a year later. Yeah, Wake yeah I'm, For- sorry, Wake Forest just earned a bunch of respect from so many college football fans with their performance. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, you know, if you're Wake Forest, you have to be confident going out of that. You can't have your head down. I mean, obviously it sucks to lose a game like that in overtime because when you're in a shootout like that, you want to be the one that comes out on top. But shout out to Sam Hartman, by the way. I know that we've been talking about DJU, but considering we didn't know what his future would be like in college football even a month ago, for him to come back and have that kind of performance, I know that he's already performed up to, you know, his, you know, up to his standard um, before this year. But that performance yesterday was outstanding. And he might have even been better than DJU was. And DJU had an incredible game. So shout out to Sam Hartman. Shout out to Jamal Banks. who put up 141 yards on six receptions. I know that AZ Perry is often the guy um, that we look at to have those big performances for Wake Forest. But uh, Jamal Banks balled out all around a great game for Wake Forest. And I think that this really should put them um, in talks to get to a New Year's Six Bowl because when you can put up with Clemson like that and you can score against the defense like that, that's going to – that confidence will go up and it's only going to get better throughout the rest of the season because this is your hardest game that you'll play all year if you're mm-hmm. Wake Forest. Yeah, and Jamal Banks crushed it. Donovan Green crushed it. A.T. Perry just had that one touchdown where he was left wide open but was very good for Green and Banks to show college football fans – this receiver room has a whole lot more than A.T. Perry, so put some respect on our names. Again, weight goes down 51-45 in overtime, and it's tough to say to, to this program, like, you got to hold your head up high, but you do. I know, I know. Wake fans finally almost got this win against Clemson. It wasn't to be. I'm sure it's to be at some point in the very near future because if we keep playing ball games like that, you're going to do it soon. It was a heck of a game for them. And what was a heck of a game, one we alluded to earlier, Arkansas A&M. Sheesh. Yeah. Um, I'm going to you know keep this as unbiased as possible because I, I want to be objective here when I say that neither team played their best game by any means. I don't think that either team played their best game. And the defenses for both teams looked pretty good for the majority of the game. Um, and I honestly do believe that AM could have won that game by a bigger margin than they did. Um, huge drop by Moose Muhammad III. And uh, I believe it was the early fourth quarter, maybe late third. But uh, on what would have surely been a touchdown pass, but... 
And I think that what needs to be spoken about the most, and this is something that I don't think it's talked enough when you talk about Texas A&M this year, because everybody talks about the App State loss, is the defense for A&M. They have been rock solid all year. And I know that a lot of people, especially A&M fans, have been complaining about the fact that last night A&M ran a three-man front the entire game. Meanwhile, Arkansas ran the ball 35 times. I mean, that is – it's – kind of asking for disaster if you're only going to ma- run a three-man front like that um sure you're going to limit the pass game which AM really did they held kj jefferson to under 200 passing yards but you allowed 105 rushing yards to kj and things could have been a heck of a lot worse from that perspective i don't know what y'all or what you thought about that liam i know you weren't able to watch andrew um but yeah what, what did you think about um the performance from AM defensively I guess I'll speak on this since Andrew was at Houston Rice. But first off, AM's defense is really good. It's really, really good. And I just think straight up the three-man front was interesting. I, I thought I thought they played really well though. And I thought that this game, look, I did think going in AM was going to. When I see Arkansas has the ball on the one-yard line and you've got K.J. Jefferson quarterback and we know who he is and we know Raheem Sanders is an absolute tank in the backfield as well, the man they call Rocket, I'm thinking that's ball game at the end of the first half. I'm thinking, all right, 21-7, Texas A&M doesn't have the offense to go do this. For their defense to force that turnover on K.J. Jefferson, the fumble at the one, three minutes left in the first half down 14-7, and then just have the wherewithal to think, all right, we're not we're not settling for for this ball on our own thirty or whatever. This is a house call. To to just hand that ball off, sprint to the house for six. That's that's where the game went, and literally six because the extra point went bad. But that's where the game was won and lost, in my opinion. I know it ends up on wink doink at the very end, but if that play doesn't happen for A and M from their defense, from incredible effort all around there from start to finish. A and M is winning that game. That's ball game. That's GG. Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, you you pointed to it. That's where the entire momentum shifted. From that point on, we saw a completely different Arkansas team and a completely different AM team. The AM offense looked really this the AM has to figure out how to start a game because what they have done this year, I don't know what they're doing, but three straight three and outs to start the game, especially when you're going up against Arkansas, who I know went three and out on their first drive, and then they followed it up with a touchdown on their second drive, touchdown on their third. You know, that's that's unacceptable if you're going to start the game that slow offensively. So um, for a and and I just need to give a huge shout out, by the way, to Chris Russell, because Chris Russell played an integral part in the game last night. Uh, huge plays last night and the handoff from Tyreek Chappelle, who somehow had the awareness or Damani Richardson, rather, who had the awareness to say, hey, give me the ball. I'm right here. You know, I thought that forward progress had stopped. I did not expect that that ball would keep going down the sideline in the hands of Damani Richardson for a touchdown. That is where the game was won, as you just said. But what was KJ Jefferson thinking to try and leap like that? I don't know. Um, I can say straight up, Daquan Finn of Toledo got carted off in his game, came back and did the Superman on the QB power to score a touchdown lay in the fourth. I don't know. I don't know what KJ's doing, man. You've got to make sure that you're extending that ball and it's getting over. That that's just not there have been 
too many plays from KJ Jefferson that I question over these last two years. And it just happens time and time again. And time and time again, I am sitting here so politely asking Sam Pittman to play Malik Hornsby at quarterback. He might not be that late 2000s, early 2010s tank of a quarterback running guy, but he's one of the fastest players in the country. He's a weapon that you guys know you need to get the ball. That's why he has his own package. That's why he gets out there on the field at, at receiver, uh, line up in the backfield to get touches. Play him at quarterback. It, 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 I'm sorry, the KJ Jefferson, KJ Jefferson could not take this team to the levels of expectation that they have. Only Malik Hornsby can. I truly believe that. Anyway, though, AM, we talked a few weeks ago after the App State loss. De- Devin, uh, Devin, Autry, can we scam the ball? And they did that. Yeah. Like, finally, yeah. <laughs> finally. I mean, A Chain looked amazing last year, and he had only gone over. 10 touches you know i think once or twice and then this year he hadn't even been getting the ball as much and wow you give him the ball 19 times and he puts up 159 yards 8.4 ypc crazy who would have thought i mean he is insane and then something that AM needs to do more and i saw this yesterday loud and clear AM needs to take big shots more because the receiving talent is fast enough to get back to get by almost any DB in the country. You have Evan Stewart, who is lightning fast. You have Devon A-Chain, who can also go out and play receiver. Um, unfortunately, Anaya Smith uh, just announced, um, or not officially announced yet, that he will likely be out for the season with a broken fibula. So prayers up to the Smith family and him, um, of course, for a speedy recovery. If that was Anaya's last game in an AM uniform, thank you. Um and we also saw Donovan Green get involved more in the passing game yesterday, which AM always uses tight ends, and they haven't done that really so far this year. So to see Donovan Green getting involved, you will Keith Brown. Um, you know, it's it's definitely exciting though to see AM try to open up the passing game a little bit more. And something that I don't think gets talked about enough is Max Johnson looked pretty good running the ball yesterday. Um, he wasn't really able to do it at LSU due to a lack of QB depth, especially last year. But Max really did put the team on his back. And, uh, you know, I, I am really pleased with what I saw from him. But, man, it would not have been for the poor tackling of Arkansas uh, that AM would have been able to run away with this one the way that they did. And we haven't even talked about the oink-doink yet. Yeah, and I just want to say, too, Evan Starr, Chris Marshall, please get them more volume in the coming weeks and months. When you're playing Arkansas, who has one of the worst secondaries in the country – and you're starting with multiple three, and I'll start the game, I wonder why. You know, I don't know. It's just like take a few shots deep to those guys. Try and get Evans or electrify that crowd at a neutral site early on. Just saying, throw the ball downfield to start. Good things are going to happen. Oink, doink. It's right up there. Like, it's funny to see the reaction to oink, doink, and everyone's like, Oh, I've never seen that happen. Hit the top of the... It happened in week one. It happened in Wyoming, Tulsa in overtime. Wyoming kicked it and it hit the top of the, the, the upright, like the same thing, and it didn't go in. So it's that's something I've never seen until this year, and it happened twice in a month. And Oink Doink's one of the greatest names I've ever heard for a call, and that's just the stuff that college football gives us. We had Old Piss, now we have Oink Doink. Yeah, it and just by the means way, more. 
great call by Joe Tessitore last night. It was fantastic. Dude, dude absolutely kills every game that he does. Uh, don't think he gets enough respect on a national level. Might be better than Fowler. I thought I thought I thought he called that game at a tremendous level. Like it wasn't it wasn't the best played game. It was a really entertaining game though, and he he electrified. He did his thing. Te- Joe Tess was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> oink doink. <laughs> I it's first unreal. Of all, and this needs to be said because I've seen a few members of the Arkansas fan base on Twitter absolutely belittle their kicker Cam Little. Do not attack players after this stuff happens they are human they make mistakes that was a marginal miss if you are hitting the top of the upright it is a miss by a margin it's not something that he and even if he had missed it 10 yards wide to the right you just don't do that and it's not okay to you know talk about your players like that like if you're going to support your team through its highs support them through their lows too that's all i'm going to say about that i'll say this something that i've done this year kind of piggyback off that is obviously I have a relationship with some of the uh, UH players after the tough loss to Kansas last week, I just DM'd a couple of them and I just said like, Hey, I know it's like a really down time right now. And I know that you guys are pissed off, but I'm still behind you a thousand percent. You know, I think the most important thing that we can do as fans is understand that it's like what Jake said, you know, if you're going to be there for the highs, be there for the lows. I think it's just one thing of like, just show that you're still supporting and just show like, Hey, there's a human element. You know, if anybody that's ever gone to a football game and they have like one of those, you know, commercial breaks where they have fans like kick, uh, like kick field goals, you know, for like prizes or whatever, think about like how bad they miss it, you know? And think about like people that sit on the couch watching the games or like sitting in the bleachers, watching the games, Think about how bad they would do it, you know. And for me, it's one of those things that it's really one of those things I'm really passionate about, about how if a player struggles or if a team is struggling, give them a reason to be high. You know what I mean? Like, like find a way to like, you know, because think about the amount of bad DMs that they're getting, you know. Players post family photos. They post photos of their girlfriends, like, just imagine like maybe like some of the abuse that they get in their DMs that are targeted towards those that they care about. It happens. And a lot of times it doesn't even get mentioned on social media because they don't want that exposure, but it's really important to just give the players a hint at, you know, something just a nice, like a simple thank you note or a simple, we still love you sort of thing. Cause when a team is down or when a player is down, they need support from fans more than ever. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. Yeah, and uh, you know, AM after we lost App State, um, we sell out Kyle Field or we saw Kyle Field, third largest crowd in stadium history. You know, that was absolutely the support that I think AM needed. And you know, two straight wins coming off of that, both of them being top 15 wins. And uh, you know, I think it's really a sign that the season might be turning around after that. Mm-hmm. We'll see how the prehistoric offense of scheme continues to go, but too many playmakers to fail, man. The defense is elite. They've got so many playmakers on offense. They could do serious damage. And yeah, I mean, I just want to follow up on, on what I said before. Definitely like, you know, if you're a fan of score player, definitely like reach out to them when they're going through and like, let them know, like still got your back. I, I think I could speak for all three of us. We definitely all do that. We're always there supporting supporting these guys that 
are going out there on Saturdays, you know, whatever day they're playing college football, and they're providing great entertainment for us, and they're doing their thing as they try and get to the NFL and provide for their family. Like, as long as you support them, and any, any disrespect that's being shown towards Little for missing on a complete fluke is unreal. He's one of the best kickers in the country. He's going to be kicking the NFL in a few years. I, I, I feel terrible for a kid like him, and I just feel even worse that he has to play for a fan base that turns their back on him in a nanosecond because I know if he hits that kick, you you want to be the one to be taking pictures with him. You want to be the one to be holding him up on your shoulders. Get out of here with that. If you're going to turn on him in the in, in the blink of an eye, like what are you like, what are you doing? And now I'll just yeah, bring us to our next topic. I'm sorry, actually, you go. <laughs> no, I I I was gonna say just to just to finish up with that. Arkansas fans, please be better when it comes to not booing uh, when players are down and injured. I was quite disappointed that a large number of your fans did boo and I Smith when he was down on the field with now a season ending injury. So please do better. I promise you, these guys are not trying to just slow down your offense. They're people too. They get hurt. Anyway, end of topic. Yeah. I mean, broken fibula and they, they boot them. It's just, it's just, it's just a bad look. But we'll move on to, we'll each say one thing that we believe to be the most surprising thing from week four. Well, you start personally. I'm your glorious host. You want me to start? Okay. Of course. Fine. I thought, mine. I, I thought the most surprising thing was App State being able to choke a 28-3 to lead. I, I just, I could never envision a team with their identity of football being able to squander that lead. You're up 28 to three in the middle of the second quarter and you lose 32 to 28. Your offense is too good. It's got too many playmakers. It's got an experienced quarterback in Chase Bryce. You can't be, you can't fail to score a point for the rest of that game. And yes, all credit to JMU. They're, they're outstanding. I thought they were a six, seven win team going into the year. Heck, they're going to beat that expectation, an expectation that I got crazy looks for. That team is outstanding, and it's a shame that they're ineligible for postseason play. The transition rule is one of the worst rules in sports. Targeting is too, but the transition rule is absolutely garbage. It's terrible. I'm just shocked, though, by the fact that App State can't hold on to the lead. Again, the identity of an App State football team, what is it? Powerful run game, it's toughness. It's that offensive line, a great combination of running backs they ran for 1.9 yards per carry on 34 rushes cam peoples and nate noel only got 10 combined carries the stuff that can't be happening and i'm just shocked that they're able to squander a 28 to 3 lead man i don't know with their identity what they pride themselves on everything it, it doesn't make any sense to me credit to jmu though thrilled for them Absolutely fantastic win. Yeah, for me, my most surprising thing was uh, Kansas State being able to Damn it. literally run all over that Sooner defense. I mean, we saw an Adrian Martinez that never could have been envisioned during his years at Nebraska. We're talking 200 yards through the air and another almost 150 on the ground. That is seven yards of carry experience four touchdowns. Sorry, Kenzie, if you're listening to this, but Holy cow, what a game from Adrian Martinez. When we're talking about a K state team that beats 
OU in Norman and Deuce Vaughn was not the story of the game, you know that something crazy went down. But when it's Adrian Martinez, I mean, the Adrian Martinez experience has taken us down so many different paths over the past 15 years or however long he's been in college now. But absolutely credit to Kansas State. Huge win for them. Um, And the Big 12 is just an absolute mess right now. So who knows who is going to be the one to actually step up. Also, the 9 a.m. nickname for Adrian is also just sick. That nickname's so good. <laughs> you know, kind of like the, the caveat to that, because now that Jake stole my surprising thing, I've luckily I had a backup, but it felt like everybody gave Oklahoma a new identity for this season, saying that this is a brand-new Oklahoma team with Brent Venables from, dis- from defensive coordinator at Clemson to being the head coach at Oklahoma. He was finally going to put a defensive identity into Oklahoma, set them up for success in the once they get to the SEC, build this as, the, as their new foundation rather than just being always offense first. You know, no disrespect to Dylan Gabriel, but he's never going to be a Baker. He's never going to be, you know, a Jalen or Kyler or something like that. But – the fact that we finally think that we have a different Oklahoma team this year and they give up 41 points at home to a Kansas state team that just lost to Tulane the week prior. This is no disrespect to Tulane. They're very good too, but it's just like Adrian Martinez got 350 yards total by himself in terms of both passing and, and rushing Deuce Vaughn adds another, you know, 120, I think he had, it's honestly just insane. But to, to go to my other surprising thing is Texas tech, Texas tech, after a couple weeks, after the first two weeks, I was kind of like, okay, maybe they got something building here. You know, I really like the Joey McGuire hire from Baylor. I, I, you know, I really love the Zach Kittley hire from Western Kentucky, but there was still so many question marks around it. And then when they went to Raleigh and choked it against NC State, Donovan Smith throws for three picks. He had five picks total between Houston and and between NC State. I was like, okay, this is a Texas Tech team that's kind of like, they'll probably be like a four and eight, five and seven, they'll choke. Now they play the Longhorns, the newly ranked Longhorns, who just beat UTSA by 21 points. And they beat him. In overtime, granted, they had the fumble in overtime, therefore gave Tech the perfect opportunity to score. Uh, but I am so happy for Donovan Smith and for Zach Kelly. That's going to be a special pairing for the rest of the season. I am so excited for, for those two to work together. And also, Joey McGuire, he, he coached Cedar Hill High School up in Dallas. And if you see his post-game press conference, like, I mean, his pr- uh, post-game speech to his players, it's like the number one dream speech you ever hear from a from a texas high school coach he is honestly that motivating towards his players and donovan smith he has he did not throw a pick against texas and that is massive mm-hmm. i remember during our texas tier talk i said that i think talent wise this tech team was better than it was last year but the, but the issue was that they had a tougher schedule this year compared to last year they, they're three and one going into october they're already halfway there for bowl season and I remember, Jake, you were there. You, Adam, Shahan, you guys laughed at me. You guys humiliated me, all right? And yet here we are in October, and Joey McGuire's got these guys all set up for success. I don't think they're going to make it towards the end for the Big 12, but they have got a really good foundation on the offensive side of the ball. It's still a good defensive unit. Granted, but Texas, you got to give Bijan Robinson the ball more. How do you have only 16 carries and still get over 100 yards and you still get three touchdowns? And he, it's like he's still not even that much of a, of, of, of 
a focal point to your offense. But shout out Texas State, uh, Texas Tech. Screw you, Texas State. Uh, shout out Joy McGuire. <laughs> what a stray they just caught. They deserve it. Have you ever visited <laughs> their campus? It's one of the worst campuses in the, in the state of Texas. But shout out Kitley, McGuire. Those guys were absolutely phenomenal with Dominic Smith. I, I, I cannot wait to see what the Red Raiders do for the rest of the year. Yeah, I, I really like McGuire, but going into the year, as a Donovan Smith guy and the Zach Kitley guy, to see that combination, and finally, dude, we saw the per. It wasn't okay. It wasn't the perfect. It was the most promising Donovan Smith we have seen yet. All the throws he was making were just incredible. He wasn't turning the ball over. There weren't many turnover worthy plays. I just I love Donovan Smith. I really like Miles Price at receiver. I need to see him get the ball more. But if he can emerge as a true stud WR1 for Texas Tech, the offense is going to keep clicking, and it's just going to be another Zach Kitley masterclass. And I did want to speak on it real quick with Oklahoma. I'm an idiot. I took the rat poison because they shut down Nebraska. I had my thoughts about Oklahoma, and, you know, it wasn't looked at enough. And – Dude, they had seven points at the half against Kent State. They had yeah, that might have been a red flag at, that we overlooked. That was a red flag, and I was waving the red flag, and then they only won 33-3 against Kent State, which, okay, cool. The defense, good job. They were Kent State. like 38, though, in that game, though. Like they, they, they Yeah, I know. It's, it's, really yeah, it's not good at all. It's not good at all. Kent State, for their defense to hold Oklahoma at 33 is mind-blowing. For Kent State to do what they did against Georgia last week on the defensive side of the ball is also – mind-blowing because that is not a good defensive unit that's a team that's going to win so much because of their offense oklahoma your defense did a good job against kent state's incredible offense nfl receiver possible nfl back that they've got dante sebas marquez cooper my goodness why did i think beating down on that garbage nebraska dumpster fire was enough to put the red flags away it's not you know, we'll see it kind of happens. does bring up a good a good point, a, a thought that I had after that Nebraska-Oklahoma game. At first, I put it as a troll on Twitter, but now it kind of like really genuinely puts a thought into it of how many one-possession losses did, did, did Scott Frost have over his tenure at, at Nebraska? Wasn't it like close to 20 or something like that? I may, I may was, have that. It was over 20, I think. I can't remember the exact number. So isn't it just funny that he has this many one-possession one losses and then the first Nebraska game after he gets fired is 38 points. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, they scored is, on their he, first and last drives of the game, and that's it. Didn't is he just a mask of what was really going down in Nebraska? How do we not know that what's going down in Nebraska is worse than what we see on television? It is because of the Nebraska curse, the cheese touch. Look at who has beat them. Northwestern is 0-3 with losses to Duke, Southern Illinois. Shout out the Salukis in Miami of Ohio after Northwestern beat Nebraska. Georgia Southern is 1-1 after they beat Nebraska. Oklahoma is 0-1 after they beat Nebraska. Nebraska's some sick witch, dude. Well, I'm saying it right now. I, I don't... I, I don't. I, I mean, I said it last week, so I'm not really saying it right now. But I am saying it. Whatever, though. There's something seriously wrong in Nebraska that needs to be investigated because they can't be getting away 
with this voodoo magic that they've got going on. It's really cool for the 2022 college football season. They'll let this chaos blow up. But if the Nebraska curse keeps happening and it unravels over and over again, oh, my, what, like, Brian Windhorst, man, what is going on, Lincoln? Yeah, and one more thought that I just have about, um, you know, Andrew's comments about Texas Tech earlier. Baylor Cup needs to be talked about. He is a man who had a great game yesterday. For those who don't know his past, he was a highly, I believe he was a five-star recruit um, coming into college at A&M who just had the worst injury luck I have witnessed in any recruit in recent memory, was only able to really just get on the field for special teams just because he wasn't healthy enough. For him to transfer into Texas Tech and have that prominent role that he is so badly wanted for all of his college career to finally have that and be able to go out on a national spotlight and be able to showcase his talent like that. I'm just very happy for Baylor cup. So major shout out to him. Thrilled for him to make some big plays in that win over Texas. We'll now move to the most disappointing thing from the weekend. Take it away, Jake. Well, I wasn't going to go here, but I decided that I will. And I'm pretty sure that this goes into what we're going to talk about. And it's the Miami hurricanes. I mean, there, there's nothing else that needs to be said. This team just isn't good. Thank you. Um, for Tyler Van Dyke, for somebody who had all of this hype coming into the season, I don't know what the heck has gone wrong. Henry Parrish isn't getting the ball enough. Something needs to be completely switched up. I don't know what the problem is. It's a top to it's a top to bottom problem that they have in Coral Gables right now, and. You know, there is one plus, though, for Miami, and it's kind of the thing where if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, did it make a sound? And there was nobody at the stadium yesterday to witness it. So, you know, that's good news for Miami fans. A, a big issue, though, too, in that game was both Parrish and Knighton went out with injuries at running back. But uh, stop with preseason polls. Like, please, like, like, please. There was not one ounce. Every time I saw people going gushing over Miami when we were doing videos and podcasts and stuff, what was my response? Like, what do you see in them? I'm just it, it, the product that they're showing is even worse than I expected. And yeah, I, I mean, it's unreal. The only thing that changed with Miami was they put Mario Cristobal into a Hurricanes polo and they put the same product out on the field and it's the same mediocre to bad product that Miami football has had for the last outside of a couple of years of good seasons last, you know, 15, 20 years almost. Yeah, and I'll, I've never been like a TVD guy, but I haven't been a hater of him or anything, but dude, when Jake Garcia comes into the game and leads Miami down the field in about two seconds for a touchdown drive, we, we've got issues. There are some serious issues with TVD. And yes, as I've said a million times, the situation he finds himself in is also similar to 2021 Clemson that DJU found himself in. The wide receivers stink. The offensive line stinks. The offensive scheme stinks. Yeah, it's uh, I I don't know how things can get much worse for Miami who should never be able to touch the AP poll again. Thank you. Um, 0-3 lifetime against MTSU. Yeah, well, didn't know that stat. But, um, yeah, and I I think we're going to get into this, but uh, it's not looking real pretty for Miami going forward. 
And also it's even worse for them than now that Florida State's on the come up this season. This is big yeah. in terms of recruiting. And this is this is big for recruiting. This is big for you know the you know the, the future ACC prospects between these two teams. How is Florida State finally turning the key around? And it feels like Miami just continues to be in a downward spiral. I mean, and it's not just a downward spiral. It feels like that there's a curse right now at the quarterback position in Miami. Because obviously last year with De'Ara King, he gets hurt. Tyler Van Dyke comes in. He's looking like the man for the rest of the season. We go into this season. Tyler Van Dyke, let's just be honest, he's just been nothing really short of lackluster to start off. And now the second that he goes down, that Jake Garcia is looking good. At this point, I am taking the under on Jake Garcia's stats for 2023. If it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a bigger issue that Miami is going to find itself in, and you know, you alluded to this just now, Andrew, is Miami is a hotbed of football recruiting for high school talent. Everybody in the country wants to have a, a piece of the pie of the Miami football high school talent. If Miami's not good, other schools are going to step in. And the opportunity is prime now for teams like Florida, FSU, or even some other schools in Florida, like a UCF to come in and take some of that territory out of Miami. Because if their hometown team the is state, bad. Texas schools, A&M, Texas, mm-hmm. even Houston's gotten a little bit of it, especially in the Juco field. They have been feasting a bit in, in the Florida territories, also in Miami. This is honestly, it used to be a Florida, South Florida situation. This is now starting to become an entire Southeast Conference. Even Alabama, they feast on Florida prospects all the time. I know LSU tries to stay a little bit more local, but with this new identity under Brian Kelly, how do we not know that maybe he'll go into Florida? He had got a lot of Florida recruits back when he was at Notre Dame too. Miami is, in terms of the city of Miami, there are snipers all around that city right now, filled with coaches, laser eyes. They want to get in as fast as they can. And if Miami, oh, sorry. You go. Okay. I, I was going to say, if Miami loses those kids, I mean, who's going to want to go to Miami? Who's going to want to go play there? Because the locals don't support them. And for me, it's like you don't have this college atmosphere because you're not even attempting to put out a product that people are going to want to watch. It doesn't matter that it's, you know, 40 minutes away from campus or whatever. You know, put out a product that's people are going to be willing to watch and they'll come. Mm-hmm. And it's and- just disappointing. Yeah, and I was just going to say, speaking of, like, the state of Florida recruiting, some of those programs just straight up don't even care about their own guys. Like, Tank Dell wanted to go play for South Florida. They wouldn't take him. The coaching staff ghosted him. South Florida ghosted Tank Dell, and he could just go Houston and ball out. It, it's, a, it's a state of Florida issue. You know, and I'm going to go ahead, you know, just because I feel like we've been harping on Miami too much. Uh, I'm going to go to another state that I think is getting a little sniped a little bit in terms of their recruiting aspect. And yes, it's going to be a bit of a bias, but I've had this platform and I'm going to take advantage of it. Uh, Wisconsin looked like a bunch of zombies last night against Ohio State. I get it. That's in Columbus. I get it that Ohio State's number three in the country. They're still my pick to win it all this season. And I obviously had zero expectation for Wisconsin to go against my, to go into Ohio State. I know it's going to be brutal. Last time we played there, Ohio State won 38 to 3. Last night was probably worse than that. The offense and and defense for Wisconsin, honestly, this is the worst performance by a Wisconsin defense that I think I've ever seen 
in my entire life, probably since we lost 59 to nothing to Ohio State in the 2014 Big Ten Championship game. Ohio State had 560 yards of total offense against Wisconsin last night. This is a team that literally led the nation in total defense and total rush defense. They allowed under 60 yards per game in rushing yards last season per game. And Graham Mertz, 11 for 20, one touchdown to a pick. I mean, thank God he only got one sack. And Braylon Allen, look, I love Braylon Allen. He's from my hometown, Wisconsin. He's he's my favorite player in college football. He had 163 yards. He got a 75-yard touchdown towards the end of the game when they had no business to even score. He averaged 7.3 yards per, uh, per carry in the game. But somehow, some way, you still only get 21 points on the game. Grammar's is still lifeless up there. At the end of the day, I can only look at one guy in the entire Wisconsin program, and that's Paul Christ. This game is only a magnifying glass of what's been going on in Wisconsin since 2018. They have not won a Big Ten title since 2012, and the only reason why they won that Big Ten title was because Penn State, Ohio State were on probate, were, were, were banned from postseason. When Paul Chris came in, he had 2016 when they beat Miami in the Orange, no, when they beat Western Michigan in the Combo, and he had 2017 when they, when they beat Miami in the Orange Bowl. Since then, one Rose Bowl appearance where you lose to a really – Justin Herbert, who honestly looked horrible in that Rose Bowl game, you don't win a Big Ten title game. Since 2019, he has not made an appearance in the Big Ten title game. And when you look at Minnesota this year, they're looking good this year. I was shocked by how good they looked against Michigan State last, last night, yesterday. Why is a player in the state of Wisconsin – Look, who may live in the west side of the state, and you have an option to go to either Wisconsin or Minnesota, why would you want to go to Wisconsin when you play for a coach who's about as motivating as a bus as a bus driver compared to a PJ Fleck who actually knows how to get his guys energized, who actually is winning football games right now? I think I'd rather play for PJ Fleck right now, and I am sick. All right, I hate PJ Fleck. That every time I see that man with a microphone. I want to close my eyes and my ears and just pray that I'm not in solitary confinement, okay? I look at Paul Chris. The dude's not motivating. He doesn't move the needle for the Wisconsin offense. Graham Mertz, has, he's in his third season, and he's played better. But when you finally get the biggest game of his career and he puts up that bad of a performance, when he looks that bad, I can't even blame Graham Mertz. It shocks me that Graham Mertz and Sam Howell were one time in the same High school All-American game. Graham Mertz is the one that won MVP of that game. He threw five touchdown passes. One of those guys is currently in the NFL. The other guy is still trying to fit into the same system under a new offensive coordinator this year. I'll give him that benefit. But he's still trying to fit into an offense that he's been in for four years under the same head coach. How the hell is this even possible? How can Wisconsin take these results that they got from 2020 2021, 2018, that was a horrible year. 2019, that you lose the Big Ten title game, you lose the Rose Bowl. Wisconsin does not win big big games anymore. They used to win big games back in 2016 and 2017. They used to be able to pull off these kind of games. They don't anymore. They don't have an identity. It's a downward spiral. There are players who are from my hometown. He just went to Notre Dame instead of Wisconsin. He was an offensive lineman. 
Wisconsin lineman is Wisconsin is arguably offensive lineman you, but they're going essentially a five hour drive away from Madison. They're going to Ohio State. Guys in our state don't even want to go there anymore. Wisconsin players do not want to stay in state. They don't want to play for Paul Chris. They, they want to go play for Ryan Day, who's one of the most awesome guys that you hear in press conferences. I would love to play for Ryan Day. Marcus Freeman, you know what? Notre Dame's had a tough start. Shout out to their victory over North Carolina. I would love to play for Marcus Freeman. I do not want to play for Paul Chris. I don't know why Wisconsin signs this extension. I don't get it. You got Jim Leonard right there who is just waiting to, to, to take the keys to, to be the next Wisconsin head coach. He wants that job. This is a defensive identity team. And yet he's rejected NFL defensive coordinator position. He rejected to, to be with the Packers. He rejected to be in the state and, and, and go for a much bigger paycheck. He's rejected to be the defensive coordinator of Alabama. He's literally begging to be the head coach of Wisconsin, but Wisconsin's okay with downward spiral. They're okay with being a defensive-minded team, but still having an offensive-minded coach. For a team that has an offensive-minded coach and a former quarterback that used to play for Wisconsin, this team hates offense. This team hates quarterback play. I'm sick and tired of this shit. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin's offense was definitely – it's lifeless. Like, that's the best way to put it. And as you said early on in that rant, the defense was – full of a bunch of zombies. Like, that was a pitiful display of football. Nonetheless, yes, it's against Ohio State, but we could see some effort. We could see some signs of life. We could see some, you know, plays being made. Ohio State slept walking. Do you guys watch that uh, Mr. Coach Go 30 guy on YouTube? I do not. Oh, I've oh, never man. heard of him. So, oh, well, he's he's got 150K followers. He's got, like, 30K, but he's awesome. But, like, he essentially roasts – he essentially breaks down film and he like roasts every player and like takes like personal jabs, like about their mothers. Now, like he gives these guys fake names, but I literally look at, but like I was literally watching this game in my car at a Sonic drive-in on my phone after the UH game. And I'm literally like, this dude's not an athlete. He don't care. He's got an arms made of noodles. There's absolutely nothing about this defense the, the, this look i knew that this team was going to be really young and won the season they essentially switched out the entire secondary nick herbe who's still a tremendous player he was locked down last night and for him to be a true junior and to still be the leader vocal leader of this team i'm just like this doesn't make sense this is a way too young of a team right now for it to still be a top five team a top five defense of the country this is just a wisconsin defense that is just not going to be it as it was the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think that Ohio State beatdown was what a lot of us did expect. But again, it was the effort level from Wisconsin was not desirable in any way. For my dis most disappointing thing, Mizzou threw their win away. Can we talk about that? Because we have to talk about that. Mizzou had literally. Yes, they threw the game away. Mizzou had the ball in Auburn's three with 45 seconds left and a 14-14 game in regulation. What happens? Oh, no. College football fans have to see a coach say, we're going to play for three. Surely we'll kick the ball. It'll go through the uprights, and two refs are going to do this. 
That's not what happens. Do college coaches not watch other teams play games? I don't care that's a 26-yard chip shot from right down the middle. If you have an opportunity to go out there and QB sneak it three times and get the three yards and go win that game with a touchdown, Auburn's offense is not driving down the field in two seconds of playing out a touchdown. It's just not happening, man. Like, play for the touchdown. And I feel terrible for Mevis. But at some point, you have to look at yourself and say – I'm a kicker that doesn't take warm-up kicks. You're a kicker that isn't taking warm-up kicks. Like, dude. That might have been the worst played football game in the Power Five so far this year. It was a terrible, I mean, terrible I mean, it, there, there I, I don't even know where to start. Um, Eli Drinkwitz is a not a good head coach. I'm going to oh. come out and say that right now. He might oh. be able to recruit some guys. He got Luther Burden to somehow – go to Mizzou. They're wasting Luther his talent. Burden must have got brainwashed because he don't get the ball. Uh, no, I think he just got paid a shoot ton of money, man. I mean, it, the bag that had to have had to been thrown at him for him to go That's into that dumpster fire, it, it's insane because we're – and Mizzou is actually doing a pretty good job of recruiting, but that class is going to fall apart. I mean, it, it is going to fall apart at the rate that they're going. Every yeah. person that I've ever met from the state of Missouri, they try to get out as soon as possible. So I don't get why he stayed. Yeah, and I I, I respect Bird in a ton, you know, wanting to go there, you know, hometown team kind of thing. But, dude, you're one of the best freshmen in the country. You're going to be one of the best players in the country at some point in the college game. You're going to be a heck of a player in the NFL. Let's prioritize your future, maybe. Maybe look in the hand transfer portal because the downright disrespect that we've seen ain't it. And I'll get back to throwing the game away. Look, Mevis doesn't take practice kicks. Half of missing that kick is on you, man, for not preparing. I don't know what that is. I feel terrible for him. But the reaction is crazy because Mephis celebrates thinking he made the kick. Their QB, Brady Cook, runs onto the field in excitement, thinking he made the kick. They're going to overtime. Auburn settles for three. You have a 17-14 lead. Mizzou's second play on offense that Daniel P explodes. Incredible surge of burst for a 19-and-a-half yard run. Why in the half? Because as Pete reached out for the end zone, the ball slips out of his hands, and Auburn recovers it for a touchback. Mizzou throwing that game away is just i'm not blaming the kids i'm blaming the coaching staff it was a complete lack of preparation to go win this game i don't care if it's me saying i'm not going to take more kicks get a coach on them to like go kick a warm-up or two that's unacceptable are you ever going to throw a relief pitcher into the eighth inning we'll say the ninth inning without throwing a warm-up pitch it's a mess at Mizzou. It's a mess. Drinkwitz is not the guy. Can we please move on to something positive, like the player that most stood out to you? Um, yeah, I'll start. And uh, I talked about him earlier, Adrian Martinez, um, a guy who absolutely deserves his praises to be sung after this week because he played the largest part in getting K-State to beat OU this week. And Deuce Vaughn was great. Deuce Vaughn's always great. But for him to step it up to that next level and show, you know, I can play football a little bit. You know, it was nice to see from a guy who at most times looks like he's never thrown a football at the collegiate level. You know, that's what we've seen 
from Adrian Martinez over his tenure at Nebraska. And now, you know, he's actually starting to ball out a little bit. So, uh, yeah, he's my player who most stood out to me this week. For me, it's easy. It's Jalen Daniels. I mean, I feel like every time that we put Jalen Daniels on the television, all he does is just get better and better and better. Like when we, like when I saw him against Kansas, I, I, I was just like, I, it was, I, I, I think that was the best player I think I've ever seen live. I mean, best performance. I'm not gonna say he's the best player, but he, that was so. He was so good. He was so good at running the ball. So good at throwing the ball. Uh, and against Duke, I mean, look, Duke was three and zero, but are they the best three and zero team? Obviously not. But for him to still go nineteen for twenty three, an eighty three percent completion percentage, still get three hundred twenty four yards and throw four touchdowns, and still lead this team in rushing and with eighty three yards, and score also. Every time this man gets on television, he just produces. This Kansas team just continues to true, especially on the offensive side, just continues to be consistent scoring. Jalen Daniels, I mean, if we were to do a Heisman watch right now, where would he be on that Heisman watch? Because he is – I really hate to do NFL to, to, to college comparisons, but he's almost a Lamar Jackson of college football right now in terms of he can throw the ball and he's among the top rushers in the game right now, especially in terms of ability-wise, obviously not yardage. But I absolutely love what I watched in Jalen Daniels. He's got this Kansas team. In a 4-0 start for – I don't even know when the last time that they were 4-0 was. Maybe it was 2007. But Kansas is for real. And for those that remember last year, Kansas came so close to beating Oklahoma. I mean, they just choked it. How much mm-hmm. – and after what we saw from Oklahoma this past weekend, where are we going to see with this Kansas-Oklahoma matchup this year? Do we care the fact that it's in Norman this year because it was in Lawrence last year? I don't because guess what? Another Kansas team just beat Oklahoma in Norman. So I am, you know, I'm really happy with Jalen Daniels. He's so good. He's, you know, Kansas, you know, I think I have Kansas ranked higher than anybody else among us. It's for a good reason. Where do you I, have I love, them ranked? I think I have them at like 18th. I have them 21st. Believe I had them at 23 in my poll. And, you know, going back to Jalen Daniels, I spoke um, when I spoke with one of our colleagues, Adam, on the uh, Big 12 preview show that we did before the season started. I talked about Jalen Daniels and how great he would be for the Jayhawks this year. I don't think anybody foresaw the Jayhawks being this good, but I think a lot of people expected them to not just be that basement dweller that they have been. That nobody was going to shove aside. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anybody expected this. Yeah, I I I did expect Kansas to be confident. I did expect their offense to be good because not this good though. Like Jan Downs is a dude. Devin Neal's really good. Hayshaw's also very good. Like they've got dudes, but I didn't know Lance Leopold was playing the dynasty on freshman. Wisconsin mode. legend, by the way. Yeah, Wisconsin I, Whitewater, that is. Yeah. I didn't know that Jalen Daniels was doing a road to glory as well on freshman mode like though they are doing unreal things at KU and it's incredible and yes Jalen Daniels would have been our transfer portal CFB power five player of the week on the offensive side if it wasn't for Cal running back Jay and uh my goodness I feel like I'm cheating by rolling with the guy that I've been so high on and I've spoken the praises to since the middle of the summer but he's a true freshman running back, and he's the real deal. And I'm finally stoked that other people are realizing this 
even though three of his games aren't watchable because they've been on Pac-12 Network. He had 19 carries for 274 and three touchdowns and Cal's 49 to 30 win. 30, 49 to 31 win over Arizona. Talking is hard. It ain't hard to do what he did, though, apparently, because he ran for touchdowns of 18, 72, and 73. He had a 70-plus yard touchdown to open the game on Cal's second play of the game, 70-plus yard touchdown the final minutes of the game. Dude, we've been saying that JNI is the best Cal running back since Java Vest. He's just straight up the best player that Cal's had in a long while. This is a guy that was an Oregon commit, decommitted in the summer of 2020, was Cal commit for a while, decommitted. There was pressure from Wisconsin and BYU. You say, all right, I'm going to honor my Cal commitment again. I'm going to go here. Absolute steal. His 274 rushing yards are the most by an FBS player this season. True freshman, by the way. Single game record holder for most yards by a freshman in Pac-12 play. Crazy. First Cal player to rush for at least 200 yards in a game since 2017 when the legend Patrick Laird went for 214 against Oregon State. He's deserving of a much more significant workload that I've been begging for since game one when I was surprised he did get the RB1 job off rip, but the volume isn't there. He need, He's only got 56 carries and he's turned into 463 and four touchdowns. And he has high-end receiving ability. More touches. He needs more touches. He's got 8.4 YPC on the young season. Let this kid rock. He's too good. His burst is silly. The long speed, the track star he is, is really good. The quickness he's got is elite. I don't know. Jay Knott's an all-around freak. He's a special athlete. He's he's emerging after four games into one of the best running backs in the country, and it just pains me to think about what could have been against Notre Dame if Cal decided to get their best player of the ball. Which they didn't yeah, decide. and just don't sleep on Cal. I mean, Cal is legitimately a sneaky good team, and there's somebody that could, if they catch somebody on the wrong Saturday, could pull off a major upset. And they've got a huge month of October ahead of them. I mean, you're closing out the month with Washington, Oregon, and then you have to go to the Coliseum and play USC to start your month of November. That's a tough mm-hmm. three-week stretch, and we're really going to figure out, I think, how the mold of the Pac-12 is going to evolve from those three weeks, honestly, and Cal could be playing spoiler for a lot of it. So don't sleep on Cal. The Pac-12 is really, really, really good, and I think it says a lot about what Vegas thinks of Cal when they're a three-point underdog at Washington State this week. says a lot. The Cal's getting a lot of respect, and we're going to move on as we kind of already talked about them a little bit, and we probably should go quicker here. Notre Dame and Miami, man. They've both struggled mightily this year. Who do you have more confidence in going forward? Um, I kind of already alluded to this earlier. I have a lot more confidence in Notre Dame um, than I do Miami. Um, Notre Dame does have a pretty tough schedule. Um, Just off the top of my head, I know that they have to play BYU. I don't know if that's in Vegas. Okay, it's in Vegas. All right. Um, so neutral site game there. Then you have, then you have Clemson at home late in the season. And then I believe that they also have to play Syracuse, um, in the dome. So, and you know, that's going to be a tough game. And then don't forget end of the season, they got to play USC in the Coliseum. So it's, you know, it's a tough schedule, but I really do think that Notre Dame is going to find their momentum. And I think that Drew Pine is a better quarterback at this point than TVD. 
Uh, so I'm going to go ahead, just kind of piggyback off that a little bit. It's Notre Dame. I mean, it's kind of just insane what Drew Pine has done since he took over. I mean, just against North Carolina alone, he got 289 yards, got the three touchdowns. Granted, I could probably go out there and throw for 200 yards against that North Carolina defense, to be fair. But at the same time, it looks like that this Notre Dame offense finally found something clicking against UNC. Drew Pine, is, I think he's obviously been better than, than uh, Tyler Buckner uh, already. I think there's new life in this Notre Dame offense. I still don't think they're going to break nine wins, but there's still a lot to like about this Notre Dame team. I still like the defense a lot. Uh, Miami, there's literally nothing about it that I can look at and say, I like it. Thank you. Thank you. That was one of the things I was going to say. Yeah, I have Notre Dame. I'm throwing potential records away here because Miami might end up with the better record. But by season's end, I think we'll all feel, and even right now, we all feel more confident that Notre Dame would go out there and beat Miami straight up. Preseason polls stink. These are two teams I thought were incredibly over A going in, never believed in them, and now we're here making fun of them for their early failures. At the very least, though, thank you, Andrew, for saying it. Notre Dame has a strength, their defense. Does Miami have one strength? And Andrew already answered it. They don't have a single strength in their entire football program right now because it ain't even selling tickets because they can't do that. There is not one unit that they have that you could say, all right, they've got some talent there. They've, they're really going to do something. Quarterback, no. Offensive line, heck no. Receiver, nope. Tight end, maybe. Mallory, solid. Also, running back, sure. Maybe with Paris and stuff. But these aren't strengths that are going to win football games. Paris doesn't get the ball consistently enough, in my opinion. He doesn't. And and Paris is also running behind an offensive line that could not stop anything. No, So Zion Nelson got straight up benched. Like, that's terrible, too, when Zion's I'll say this. One thing about it, what you were saying about, like, Miami could still finish out the season with a better record. They could probably still go a very unimpressive 8-4 and four still or a very unimpressive 7-5 and five in order to could still go a 6-6. Six and six. If you're doing, like, if you were to, like, rank all 131 teams, like, if you're doing your own AP poll of 130 teams, you may have Miami ahead of Notre Dame. But if you were to do, like, a power rating with the mindset of, like, okay, I still think this team could beat this team and so forth. I just don't see a situation where you would ever put Miami over Notre Dame. That's factual. And, yeah, and Parrish I- does need – sorry, Parrish needs the ball a heck of a lot more. I, I need to, to check up on him and see what the injury was. I need to check Twitter and see what that was. But if he's healthy, that's the guy who needs 25 touches a game. Yeah, and – uh you know, real quick, just going to talk about issues with polling. Um, please stop releasing polls in the preseason like you were talking about earlier. Release them the first week of October. That's the first time when we can really get any sense of where these teams are at. Let them play through an entire month, and mm-hmm. then we can sort of decide who's good and who's not because, you know, I mean, it's a travesty that both of those teams – or I don't know if Miami was in the top ten to start the season. I know Notre Dame was, and that's just – Ridiculous. Looking Brett back. McMurphy had Miami as top four entering the, this year. Might have been number four. And well, I well, Brett McMurphy also had Nebraska at number twenty-five in his preseason poll. So crazy that these are the people running the college football media world, isn't it, Jake? Isn't it a little crazy? They they have the legitimate ranking system that somehow determines how these teams get ranked when it comes down to college football playoff time. When we talk about ranked wins, they have control over that. It's, in, I mean, that, it's that's, insane. That's crazy to me. And and it's all about the U. They're not the U anymore. It's the U. 
we'll also move on to each sharing our most overrated team in the country at this point. Guess what? If Notre Dame or Miami is still here, that says a lot. No, they're not my um, my most overrated one. It's pro- I, there's going to be a significant portion of people that are going to be very mad at this pick, but I think it's probably I'm going to say Kentucky. I don't think that Kentucky is hit. Jake, you got to stop doing this to me, man. Uh, Jake, we all have Kentucky as our most overrated team. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. I apologize for uh, don't stealing apologize. your thunder. Don't, you're not, this is just the you're truth. You're just the first to speak on it. It's, yeah, it's just um, the truth. You're I mean, good. Jesus spoke the gospel sure. before anybody else could. So, I mean, I mean it's – I just I, – I don't see it. Will Levis play is the most inconsistent quarterback I have ever laid my eyes on in terms of just being really good one week. And then the next, I, I look at him and I'm like, where's the guy that – you know, it was getting hyped up. I mean, you know, g- good job. You beat Northern Illinois and you beat a bad Florida team early in the season. You play Ole Miss this weekend. And I got news for you. That defense against Ole Miss, it's Much not going to be, pr- it, it's probably not going to be pretty. And then after that, you're going to have to, you play Tennessee on the road. You play Mizzou on the road and that could end up being a trap game. Uh, that's all I'm saying. That's a trap game. I think you completely glossed over Mississippi State, especially with how well Will Rogers played uh, yesterday. Granted, it's Bowling Green, but like when that Mississippi State offense is on, it is so unstoppable. And I, you know, I agree with that. And then, yeah, sure. You've got Georgia at home to end the season. This is not a team that is going to be finishing in the top two of the SEC East. I do think that they are that third team behind Georgia and Tennessee. But, you know, it, it, I mean, below them, it's it's really not good. I mean, that that the SEC East outside of those three teams is absolutely terrible. And I just think that a seven a number seven ranking for Kentucky at this point is ridiculous. You know, I guess I, I mean, at this point, you kind of just took words out of my mouth with Kentucky. I mean, they're, they're so easy to, to have as a top 10 team right now, only because they were kind of already top 20 going into the season. And with all the ruckus that's been going on in top 15, they've kind of, you know, it's not like that they've won themselves to get to number seven. It's like the top 15 just like slowly just cleared out, cleared out, cleared out. And then all of a sudden it's like, bang, Kentucky standing right there at number seven. That's what it is. The benefactory of a preseason poll that's just slowly bumping them up and it's not worth it. And can we all just really quick share what ranking we have Kentucky at personally to give the people listening some perspective? Do you have it on you? Because I got um, it. Do you have it on you? I, I mean, I could, I could look it up. I, I thought I, you guys I, might I, know. I have, I'm, I have on our, I'm on 17. our Google Sheets right now. Uh, Kentucky right now for us is number 17. 14. Oh, okay. I meant I individually. Had... I had them at 12. Oh, okay. individually, I don't or, know. Sorry, 13. I, I, 13. For me, personally, I had them 13 also. Okay, so both of you had 13. I have them 17. So yeah, I mean, honestly, much lower. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't blame you at all. I mean, there were times where, like, it, it when I was putting them at 13, it was kind of like I didn't feel comfortable putting them at 13. Like, I was thinking of it more as a rank. It, it was it's what I was saying before. I viewed it as a ranking rather yeah. than a power rating. If it was a, if I was, you know, if I was doing this off of a power rating mindset, I don't even think they cracked top twenty to be honest with you. But I'm not going to say that this team's overrated, but I do think that they're one of those teams that they're so high right now that we could start seeing a, a bit of a trindle of, you know, it could get a little bit ugly. And that's Penn State. Listen, Sean Clifford, he has been so up and down this year. Like, he actually played really well against Purdue. Then it was games against, 
you know, there were a couple throws against uh, Central Michigan yesterday where you were kind of just like, what the hell is that? Those are throws that Graham, made, that Graham Mertz makes. I mean, it's that bad. But whenever you look at Penn State right now, I love Nick Singleton. I really do. I love I love ground and pound pause running backs in the in college football. Nick Singleton, he's going to be part of that. You know, Dave said it. He probably deserves the number twenty six already. He's that good, and I do believe he's going to be great. He's going to be great at Penn State for the next three years. I love what he brings to to the table for Penn State, but I just think Penn State's just going to get outmatched on a couple situations here. They have Northwestern this weekend. You know, we spoke on it earlier. Northwestern's zero three since beating North uh, since beating Nebraska. I don't care about Northwestern, but you have to go to Michigan. You have to play Minnesota in your whiteout, and I know that whiteout is always a very intimidating factor. But if this Minnesota team can perform like they have the last couple weeks, that could be a much closer game than what we can expect. And the way that Minnesota can control tempo, especially with the way that Mo Ibrahim is running the ball. If you keep the ball away from Nick Singleton, Minnesota, they could very well find themselves towards the end of that game in a very good winning position. But they also go, they have to play Ohio State also at home. That's going to be a big noon kickoff. Screw you, Fox, honestly. And then you do have to play Maryland a couple weeks later. And honestly, from what I saw from Maryland this past week against Michigan, I should have put them on a, on a little bit of my surprising team. They kept it close with Michigan most of the game, they scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. Talia Tegovailoa, even though he had two picks, he actually was still able to make some good throws to, to, to penetrate that Michigan defense. I still think Michigan is one of the top four teams in the country. But at the same time, Maryland should not be disrespected. Them to be a 17-point underdog against Michigan was disrespectful. It really was. It, 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 it disrespects guys like Rakeem Jarrett. It disrespects Talia. It disrespects the receiving core. I really like this Maryland team. I think they could beat towards the end. Penn State, I just feel like that they have had a soft schedule already. I do not look a victory at Auburn. Impressive at all. Mizzou kept it close with Auburn at Auburn. Okay, I personally do not care that you beat Auburn. I I do think Penn State is good. I would think they're a lot better if, one, James Franklin wasn't there. Or, hey, James Franklin still is there. But Chad Powers or Drew Aller is your quarterback and not Sean Clifford. I would have a heck of a lot more uh, confidence in Penn State. I am going to still speak on Kentucky, though, because I do feel it's right to share my side of this. Dude, I look at them in the same light as Arkansas. I got a lot of, like, feedback from people. Why is Arkansas so low for me? We're seeing why. I just don't think they're that good. I don't think Kentucky is that good. And, you know, the, the three teams I've – felt were very overrated notre dame miami arkansas their play will do the talking for me find the next team could be tough it could be nc state at 10 i don't think they're worthy of that ranking at all i'm so glad that the transfer portal cfb we gave nc state a ranking that they're worthy of near the bottom of the teams closer to 20 ap having them at 10 is a straight up joke regardless though Will Levis is not the QB golden boy that everyone thinks he is. And if you look at Kentucky's next four games, I see a one and three stretch. I see Ole Miss, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee. That could very easily be a one and three stretch. Heck, maybe South Carolina has an Adrian Martinez experience and they go out there and they beat Kentucky and you could be looking in on four stretch. Kentucky's just not a team to me that really moves the needle. I don't see the offensive hype. Uh, I think there's necessary improvements that need to be made. I, I'm not an idiot, though. Like, the defense is stellar. Keaton Smith and Carrington 
uh, Valentine at quarterback, elite duo. It just comes down to a mediocre offense with an overrated quarterback that's prone to making poor reads, throwing interceptable passes. Next four games are brutal. I just don't see Kentucky living up to this top 10 ranking at all. And I'm so glad that we can now move into teams that we're happy about. Underrated. Who's the most underrated team in the country, Jake? I'm going to go with the Washington Huskies. And there's a few reasons why I say that. Number one, the Pac-12, we've already spoken about this. It's a very, very good conference this year, at least through the first four weeks of play. Um, a lot of the Pac-12 seems like it's just really good football. And Washington has the best passing attack in the country right now with Michael Penix, who has turned everything around. Head coach Kalen DeBoer has started out. Couldn't have started his tenure better, honestly, at Washington. And, um, you know, it really just speaks to how this program has really just kind of quickly rebuilt itself. Because Washington was genuinely great a few years ago and then kind of had some really mediocre to bad seasons. And then Kalen DeBoer comes in, resets the culture, brings in Michael Penix from Indiana or from Indiana. Uh, can't speak. Um, and, you know, that that's just it's a really big deal to have this. And, you know, maybe their biggest test of the season thus far, because I don't think the Michigan State's that good, um, is against UCLA. At the Rose Bowl. Hey, buddy, we're not that good either. Well, hold on. Uh, you know, you'll yeah, be facing the ten, you'll be facing the tens of fans in the gold and There's blue. There's yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be something, but I think that Washington does have tremendous potential coming in. Um, and especially down the stretch. Um, their schedule honestly isn't that bad. And it actually favors them finishing with a really good record. I mean, the toughest game left on their schedule is probably against Oregon towards the end of the season. That one is in Eugene. So it's going to be a huge challenge for them. And then you close out the year with the Apple Cup at Washington State. And obviously, they're going to be looking for revenge after the storming of your own home field by Washington State last year. And that was disrespectful. So I think it's just a Washington Huskies revenge tour. And I think that they're going to end up finishing top 15 in the country. And I think that they are definitely underrated. I love it. I'm going to go with Kansas State, and it's really hard to, to pick a team that just lost to a team that just lost to Southern Miss this past weekend. But I still like Kansas State as a whole. The Big 12 this year is so wide open. You know, for the first time – I can't really say in a long time because it was wide open last year too, but this feels like the first time in a really long time where it's like you can look at the conference from top to bottom. I would not be surprised if Oklahoma still came out and won it. At the same time, I don't think I'd be shocked anymore if Kansas came back and won it, but I'm going to go with a team that's kind of, okay, maybe I'd be a little surprised, but <laughs> I was about to say, whoa, <laughs> I was ridiculed for saying tech was bull eligible. Okay. I mean, y'all can ridicule. No, 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 no. And you know what? I've eaten, I've eaten crow for that. I said that tech would win four games and clearly I was wrong on that. It's that's not going to happen, but but uh, but kind of go back to the fourth. I, I love Kansas State as a whole. I still think they have a really good defense this year. I was a huge Deuce Wong fan going into the season. The real reason why I was a huge Deuce Wong fan was I was in attendance for the Texas Bowl for uh, Kansas State versus LSU, and Deuce Vaughn just absolutely went insane in that game. He was the MVP of the game. He had like three touchdowns. He had like close to 200 yards. He was absolutely insane the whole game. And this year, and this year, you know, while he didn't get all the yardage against Oklahoma the same way that Adrian Martinez did, he still takes command of that offense. Well, we got Adrian Martinez this past weekend is not the Adrian Martinez that we're going to get every week. Let's monetize, monetize, no, 
modestize. I, I don't even know if that's a word. English is hard. It's not my first language. Don't kill me. But this is still a Kansas, Kansas State offense that can control tempo, control time possession. And I still think they're going to have them on the best defenses in the Big 12 for this year. The schedule for them this year is not the most helpful because they actually have to play one of my other underrated teams that probably would have been in my top three most underrated teams. They have to play Texas Tech this weekend. And I love both teams, the, the way that they're built up this year. The winner of that game for me has the best chance to, to make more noise throughout the rest of the year. But I love the defense. I love Deuce Vaughn. Adrian Martinez, he's not going to be the best quarterback in the Big 12 by any means. But I do think he has the running ability in the Big 12 to where he can still, you know, control the space in the Big 12. Put this way, this is not the Big 10 West where if you step out of the pocket, you get knocked your teeth out within the next five seconds. This is a Big 12 where the secondaries are so much more open. There's a lot more space, a lot more high scoring. I think the Big 12 is so much better fitting for Adrian Martinez this year than it was in Nebraska last year. So if you asked me last week, I told you, Shrav, dude, it's Washington. Like, Washington is really, really good. I'm glad Jake said them, but I think they're starting to get the respect they deserve. I think there's a program that is not getting the respect they deserve, and that was evidence when they didn't move a spot in the poll, regardless of who they just beat down on Saturday. Minnesota, man. I ranked the Gophers at 15. I think that this team is very, very good. I'm so glad that I decided to be an idiot and pick the Gophers and our team to last longest undefeated draft earlier i don't know why i did it i'm loving that right now though i i just think this 2022 this is the big 10 west best team i don't think it's very close at this very moment the schedule easily sets up for a 10 win regular season perhaps even 11 and 1 is in the looks New Year's six potential is real and not enough people realize that right now the offense is it's a lot of running. It's going to put people to sleep, but it's also going to grind down defenses and it's going to put them to sleep too. That's the PJ Flack way. That's what they do in Gopherville. Now, Muhammad Ibrahim, he scores on every single short yardage situation that you could ever possibly imagine. How many times do you just check a Gophers game cast and you see Muhammad Ibrahim, two yard touchdown run? Muhammad, one yard touchdown run, two yard touchdown run. He just converts. He's got eight touchdowns this year i'm sure like six of them are all short super short yards inside the five tanner morgan is shredding defenses 77.2 percent completion rate yes he's played bad teams he's still going to end up playing more bad teams in the big 10 overall like the schedule's not good dude and kurt Sharaka, talk about him like, he needs some more national respect because he returns to Minnesota. We're seeing serious 2019 vibes with this Minnesota team and this offense. They're running things like it was 2019. The offense is often confusing defenses with a lot of pre-snap motion. Defenses are scrambling a lot from this. I'm not sure the numbers on this, but if I had to guess, Minnesota uses pre-snap motion probably in the top five of the entire country. The offensive line is full of beasts. Then please... Put some respect on the secondary. Golly, Justin Wally's one of the most slept-on DBs in the nation. Kid is outstanding. He's going to be one of the next Gophers to end up going to the NFL and crushing it there. I, I just don't think enough people realize that Minnesota is this good. Like I think people think, like, okay, Minnesota, they're good. 
they're really, really good. I'm glad that Andrew, even as a rival fan base, was able to say a few times today, no, Minnesota is, is legit, dude. I don't think you realize how many nails I had to swallow in order to admit that. No, I, I get it. I, 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 I know what you had to go through to say that, and that's what makes college football so great is hearing a rival be able to admit that. And I think I think I'm really glad that you got out in front of it before a lot of other people are going out and saying it. Like Minnesota's, they're not elite, but they're really, really great. I will say this: uh, when when I went to the 2016 Cotton Bowl between Western Michigan and Wisconsin, and PJ Fleck was the coach of that team, of that Western Michigan team that that went. 13 and 0, you know, they, they won their Mac uh, conference that title that year. And right afterwards was when he got announced that he was going to go to Minnesota. There was a part of me that got really nervous that he, that he took that job because he's so popular among his players, the road, the boat, I respect it. It annoys the hell out of me, but I still respect it. He, his players play for him. And for those that remember some of the offseason noise about former players saying that PJ Fleck was this fake in front of media type of guy and that he hides a lot of things behind the scenes, it was pretty impressive just how many current Minnesota players were were to step up and just say, like, this is all BS. You're making the whole thing up, you know, and it felt like a campaign to, like, humiliate the guy. But – the players that he's got right now, they play for him. They respect him a lot. And this is honestly a culture that Minnesota's needed for a really long time. And I don't think the culture in Minnesota has been this good since the 50s. Yeah, they're, they, they are gritty. They are tough. And Kirk Sharaka, much like Kalen DeBoer at Washington, has his chef hat on and is cooking up some great offensive schemes. And we'll go in. We'll do the last two things kind of quicker because probably got to get up on out here. People probably got to stop listening, go do their thing, live their life. Biggest takeaway from week four, Jake. Biggest takeaway from week four. Um, I think that my biggest takeaway from this week is we talked about it earlier. Oklahoma is not a completely changed program based on a coaching change. You're, you still got those issues defensively. You can put in a new coach, but the players that you still had there before are still going to be there, and your problems that were there before are still going to be problems now. So for me, that was my biggest takeaway from this week. Yeah, for me personally, it's kind of a game that I've already spoken about earlier. Ohio State's legit, and I look at this Ohio State team. While the run defense wasn't, the, wasn't at their best last night, Everything about this Ohio State defense is uh, this the whole team, not just the defense. It's looking better. I mean, just look at the wide receivers. I mean, it is so odd that you get to see a team like Ohio State and have guys like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson last year have those guys out, and you still look at the team the next season and be like, hey, they still got the best receiving room in the country. It's honestly insane. I mean, if you just look at the – I mean, like, freaking now, like, even Amika – I mean, I just know how I butchered the hell of his name already. But, like, the way that he played last night, 118 yards and getting two scores against Wisconsin, I think Ohio State's got the best offense in the country, bar none. They they can just literally outscore everybody. They went up against the number one defense from last year, put up damn near 600 yards. College Rebel World, just watch out because 
this Ohio State team is just going to be steamrolling the entire year. Yeah, Ibuka's a stud. I, I love seeing him finally get a crack in that receiving room as opposed to just returning kicks as he has, uh, as he did last year. But prayers up to JSN, man. I hope he, he's healthy and can get back out there this year. My biggest takeaway from week four, I was so wrong on Boise State. Oh, my goodness, was I wrong. It's an absolute mess in Boise. It's time to evaluate the future of Andy Avalos. We're already there. The offense is so unbelievably anemic. The offensive line is horrid, but Hank Bachmeyer has looked horrendous in his own right. They have a monster of a talent at QB2 right now in Taylor Green, who was rotting away on the bench. We've seen this young gun play. We saw him run like a gazelle against Oregon State for a 70-yard touchdown run. Why Taylor isn't out there playing for them as they lose and score 10 points at UTEP is worthy of an investigation, perhaps, to Boise State staff, because this is ridiculous. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, their defense is too good to to be a, a potential 5-6 win team. The Mountain West is down this year. I, I was not expecting Boise State to be this down bad either. I, I've got serious concerns for what's going on with that program. Yeah, if they want to give uh, the Cowboys a call and take Kellen Moore from us, we'd be more than happy to uh, send him on over to Boise. And college football fans would not thank the college football fans will be so excited for that regardless of how Kellen has been in the NFL. We spoke about that the other week and now best and worst thing you saw week four. Best thing I saw was Brian Harson keeping his job by just an inch. <laughs> what about the worst thing? The worst thing that I saw. Ugh, I mean, this pains me to say because it was really great, but I, I feel for Cam Little in the wink the wink. I, yeah. I really do feel for him just seeing the emotion on his face because there's probably been no lower moment that he's ever experienced on a football field than that. So keep your head up, Cam. You'll make some more bigger kicks. Uh, best thing for me was the quarterback play between Wake Forest and Clemson with DJ and Sam Hartman. You know, the, that is that should be one of the best storylines. Sam Hartman, the way that he's recovered, DJU – the way that he's been able to overcome all the noise and have the game of his life, those two guys playing together. I mean, I know that there's massive respect between those two guys. Also, it was honestly, it, you know, that game, I, I, I felt bad that I didn't say this earlier, but like that game was poetry. It, it's what it was. And the respect that those two guys got for each other, the competitiveness, the competitiveness that these two teams had, it's, it's really what football is all about. Just without defense. The worst thing I saw this weekend, it's something that I saw in person and it's something that's kind of passionate to me about. It's a blend of the game day experience and it's also a blend of, you know, showing respect to players, you know, whenever they're down. When I was at the UH Rice game, this is a big game for, for both universities, for both student bodies. And I was, you know, everybody in Houston, they, they wanted a big, they wanted a big season. They wanted 12-0. They wanted New Year's Six. Two losses, you're probably not going to get New Year's Six anymore. AAC is more than in the balance. But it really pissed me off when I finally got to my seat and it's like end of first quarter. And I look at the seats behind the right sideline and I look at the upper deck and so many empty seats. And it goes back to the whole thing of like being there for your team even when they're down. 
And I'm jealous of schools that can put up a full house every game, regardless if they win or lose. With Houston, you could have one good game of 35,000 plus people, but it's like all it takes is one bad loss. And all of a sudden now I don't even think there's 17,000. Usually every game you go to, they always announce the attendance at games. They did not announce the attendance last night. And when this PA announcer will not announce your attendance, that's just how you know how embarrassing it is. It's embarrassing for the university. It's embarrassing for the Big 12 because this is a university that's going to the Big 12 next year. I don't know how you can go to a Power 5 conference, put this bad of attendance numbers, and also just – you know, just no support. I mean, the biggest concern for Houston going to the Big 12 was not having a big enough stadium despite it being eight years old. It's, there's, you know, I you, we can't even fill up a 35,000 feet, a 35,000 people stadium. It's, it's honestly embarrassing. I hate it. I just wish that the students here would just like show up. I mean, student tickets are not that expensive. They, they, they literally the football players literally go to classes and give away free tickets and they still don't show up. That shit just pisses me off more than anything else, really. So the best thing I saw, I, I do have two. One of them, Brian Brzee making big plays in overtime to help seal the game for Clemson. All that he's been through and seeing the Brzee family's reaction is one of the best things. Then, in the more lighter note, drone delay during Stanford, Washington. Congrats, college football, on again doing the unthinkable with the drone delay that had Alex Faust and Petros Papadakis just speechless. It's something we'll, we'll probably, I would say, never see again, but it happened at the Seahawks game the next day, which is unreal. Drone delay insane stuff it was hilarious seeing the refs look up like there's a ufo Uh, unbelievable unbelievable the worst thing hey people you guys did the unthinkable by failing to rate kansas please throw the brand away and let's act like i don't know maybe it's kansas state logos or maybe it's I don't know. Um, give me a team. UCLA logos that has had this 4-0 start. You're ranking them. You're ranking them 100%. But because of Kansas's previous years and what they haven't been able to do since 2007, them failing to get ranked, it's disgusting on your behalf. I know each and every week we talk about the eight people as a joke. Congrats for proving it once again. This is embarrassing. I know you don't watch the games because we saw a voter put Tulane 23rd in his rankings with Kansas State at 24. One, I think Kansas State is already a mistake to be ranking them after they did fall to Tulane and Tulane lost to Slaughter Mist next week. But to rank Tulane one day, it's not even 12 hours. They just lost to Southern Miss and they're the 23rd team in the country. Look yourself in the mirror and evaluate if you're really worthy of that role because there's a heck of a lot of us are now in the college football media game that would die to have that job, to have that responsibility for people that actually use these two things that we are blessed with to watch college football and go out there and evaluate things our own right. It's it's pathetic, the eight people each and every week. And I feel bad because like Adam Zucker's on there and he actually does a solid job for his eight people stuff. I respect the heck out of him. I think he does a phenomenal job in the college basketball and football games. He's not the issue. It's like everyone else on that list is a giant liability to that 
pull. Um, the the fact the AP consistently is okay with playing up with this is a joke too. Figure it out, a people. I I am disgusted each and every week. It, it blows my mind what we have to witness. And thank you, Jake. Earlier preseason polls. Goodbye. Much like we're saying goodbye to this podcast. Thank you again so much for listening or watching. We appreciate you so, 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 so much. And we can't wait to see you next week. Thank you so much. Cheers.